Galaxy Lights, Coachella, Lightning Bolt Necklaces. 2023 was the year of Scandaval. On March 3rd, one cheating scandal launched a reality TV investigation that generated hundreds of conspiracy theories, thousands of podcast episodes, and millions of dollars in revenue. I'm Jody Walker, host of An American Scandaval. One retrospective story told in three salacious parts. Listen December 26th on the Ringer Reality Feed. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, Restrictions all apply. See website for details. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Larry Wilmore. Um, we're at the end of the year here in the holiday season, and I thought I would do something, you know, a little lighter uh, this episode. Not that we haven't had some light episodes, but man, it's been a heck of a year. So much, uh, just horrible things going on right now in the world. And uh, I wanted to end the year on a light note here. So what we're going to do is do a replay of an episode I recorded a few years ago with my daughter, Lauren, who Lauren loves language and she loves music. And we had a really fun session where she broke down, have yourself a merry little Christmas. And it was so much fun. Very Christmassy. Uh, fun conversation. So we're going to replay that again this year because it is one of my favorites. I think it'll be my perennial now. And then I have a really, really fun conversation with um, a good buddy of mine, Reggie Hudlin, a legendary director, producer. Reggie's done everything in this business. And he has a new movie out called Candy Cane Lane. Some of you may have seen it already with Eddie Murphy. Uh, I think it's on Amazon Prime. And it's one of those real fun holiday movies. But we had a great conversation um, that I hope you will enjoy. So here you go, Reggie Hudlin, Candy Cane Lane, and my daughter Lauren, uh, giving us a little uh, lesson about have yourself a merry little Christmas. Merry Christmas and happy New Year to everybody. Hey, Lauren. Hi, everybody. <laughs> uh, for those of you that listen to the pod regularly, you know. Uh, both Lauren and I, although Lauren in particular loves languages, she um, studies languages and 
she studies about language too, you know, and we talk about language all the time ever since she was a little. Her brother's like that too. We, we all like talking about language. We're just fascinated with it. English being one of the most fascinating languages. And uh, <laughs> Laura's like, eh, maybe. Okay, what, what's, what's a real fascinating language? There are so many though, but I would say at least a language that has tones is yeah. pretty fascinating. As like Chinese. Like Mandarin Chinese, yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lauren spent some time in China last year and we talked about Chinese. Uh, I'm still sucking the nega, nega, so I don't know about that. I will pass right now. Um, but today we thought in the spirit of the holiday season, Lauren is going, we're going to have, I'm going to have a discussion with Lauren. She's rolling her eyes right now about a very famous Christmas carol and the lyrics to it. And it's interesting that these lyrics are changed. Let's talk about that right now. Lauren, take it away. Yeah, so I'm sure many of you are familiar with the Christmas carol, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Um, I feel like the lyrics that we hear the most often are the revised version, which was actually first sung by Frank Sinatra. Um, okay, well, let's talk about the original first. Um, yeah. Not to interrupt. But the original was sung by Judy Garland. Yes, in the musical Meet Me in St. Louis. Meet Me in St. Louis or St. Louis? Meet me in St. Louis. <laughs> oh, okay. Get, well, you, you guys, if you could have seen Lauren's face when she looked, she's singing that. <laughs> oh okay, God. so uh, uh, Meet Me in St. Louis, Judy Garland. And the the original song was meant to be kind of sad. It's kind of looking back, right? Exactly. It's at the point okay. in the show when Just everyone's really sad and they're yeah. like, you know what? Everything sucks, but let's have a Merry Christmas now. Okay. And then, so that had some lyrics, and then it was changed to be what? It was changed to just be a bit more joyful, so it could just be a more neutral, happy Christmas song. Mm -hmm. And I, I looked it up, and it was actually Frank Sinatra that asked for them really? to change the lyrics. Yeah, so he was the first one to, uh, I believe he was the first one to record this new revised version. And now that's what everyone records. That's what Buble recorded. Yeah. And and most of the time when you hear the song now, you hear the change version, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So let's go through the lyrics. Uh, do you want to go through the old lyrics first and then we'll go through the new lyrics? Okay. I, I was kind of thinking we were doing a side by side. Sure. Go, go for it. Yeah. Learn. You know what? <laughs> Take it away, Lauren. Okay. Great, great, great. <laughs> so we have the first stanza. This part is the same. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. In the revised version, we have from now on, our troubles will be out of sight. Whereas the original lyrics are next year, all our troubles will be out of sight. So the revised version is, Everything's good now and it will continue to be good. Whereas the original is, it's kind of bad now, but you know what? Next year, next year. Okay. So, so do that again. So, so how does it sound now? Now it's from now on. Okay. But do the first part of the song. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. Mm -hmm. From now on, our troubles will be out of sight. Okay. Got it. That's how it is now. Yes. Okay. And then, and it's the same with the next stanza. It's the same shift between the two sets of lyrics. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the Yuletide gay. From now on, our troubles will be miles away. That kind of implies that they're currently miles away as well. Mm -hmm. And that from now on, they will continue to be miles away. As opposed to next year, all our troubles will be miles away. That has the, the subtext that currently this year, our troubles are not miles away. They are right okay. here with us. So in the original, instead of from now on, it says next year. Exactly. In both the first and second stanza. Okay, Lauren, I'm going to ask you to do a big favor. Can you just sing the first part of that both ways? Do it the original way and then do it the second way. Would you do that? Okay. Yeah. So we have, 
Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. Original, next year, all our troubles will be out of sight. Versus, I'll sing the second stanza for the revised version. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the Yuletide gay. Revised version. From now on, our troubles will be miles away. Wow. So that is a lot different. The So the from now on is more comforting. But the next year, I... Uh, what it, what would the, be the, the what word would you use to describe that? Next year puts everything in the future. From uh-huh. now on, literally has the word now in it. It makes uh-huh. it more about the present and the continued future. But the br- I want to get to the bridge and the final stanza because that's where the real shift happens. And that's where you really feel the poignancy of the original lyrics. Okay. I would say. Let me ask you this before you get to that. Mm-hmm. Do you know why it was changed? I, I looked it up and I believe Frank Sinatra just wanted more joyful lyrics. Mm-hmm. A lot of these um, pop standards that are jazz standards were written for musicals and made sense in the context of these shows. Mm-hmm. And then when they were taken out of the shows, sometimes the lyrics stayed the same because they could still just be sung on their own. And sometimes they shifted just a tiny bit so that um, they could be sung in any jazz context outside of the theater. So this is a, a situation where, although Ella Fitzgerald recorded the Judy Garland original lyrics. So that's interesting. Go on, Ella. <laughs> okay, but anyways, I want to get to the bridge because this is where it's really interesting. Okay. So the I'm, I'm going to start with the revised because that, that's what people are more familiar with. We have, here we are, as in olden days, happy golden days of yore, period. That's a statement. Faithful friends who are dear to us, gather near to us once more, period. Okay, sounds pretty straightforward. Yeah. Notice the present tense. It's just taking in the scene. Here we are. This is lovely. All our friends are here. The original lyrics... Once again, as in olden days, happy golden days of yore, comma, faithful friends who are dear to us will be near to us once more, period. That is a full statement in the bridge. It's not two separate, you know, statements describing the scene. It's saying, here's what's going to happen next year. Once again, just like it used to be, all of our friends will be near to us once more because they're not with us right now. So it's only, it's like the difference between a period and a comma changes the meaning of the stanza as well as the words. So it's kind of a run-on sentence. Once again, as in olden days, happy golden days of your comma, because the sentence is still going, faithful friends who are dear to us will be near to us once more, right? So it's trying to finish its thought. Yeah. And then the other one, here we are as in, uh, is it olden, is in olden days, happy golden days of your period. That's a period. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, that's, that's the statement, right? That's all it is. Yeah. Wow. And then the final stanza is what, like, is really emotional. Okay, wait. Okay, before you get to that, can you sing these, <laughs> these two first? <laughs> okay, okay, sure. So um, the, uh, the revised lyrics are, Here we are as in olden days, happy golden days of yore. Faithful friends who are dear to us, gather near to us once more. Versus, once again, as in olden days, happy golden days of yore. Faithful friends who are dear to us, will be near to us once more. Wow, that that actually gave me goosebumps listening to the second one. Different, and it hits different in 2020. Okay, and we haven't even gotten to that. 
parallel. Yeah, it, it really is a song for 2020 in many ways. That like, this has been a year, <laughs> and uh, the song is saying, "Just wait, just wait. Everything's gonna be okay." Mm-hmm. As opposed to kind of everything's great. Everything's great now. Wow. Yeah. But no, you the, really feel it in that stanza. And yeah. I like the way you phrased it. The original is "Just wait. Everything's gonna be okay." The revised is. Everything's great. Merry Christmas. And and those are two different songs. They're two lovely songs. The revision is a fantastic revision because you can't tell that it's changed. The rhythm fits. Everything fits. It's a great revision. It's just a completely different song. And you can really, really see it in the final stanza. So Okay, let's go for it. So we have, in the revision, through the years we all will be together if the fates allow. This is the only moment of doubt in the whole revision. They kept in if the fates allow. Hmm. So even though it's like, we will all be together. Well, okay, fine. If the fates allow. That's the only moment of hesitation in the entire... It's like, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll see how you play your cards. If you play your cards... Maybe right. we're not 100%. We're 94% right. sure about this. And then the famous line, hang a shining star upon the highest bow, which is completely different. We'll come back to that. And then the conjunction and... Have yourself a merry little Christmas now. Okay, now what does that mean? Hang a shining star upon the highest bow. What do they mean by that? They're just talking about decorating a Christmas tree, put a star up at the top of the Christmas tree. They're literally just, they just threw that in for it to rhyme with allow and now. And it's just decorating a Christmas tree. Okay, let's go to the other one now. Whereas the original, instead of through the years, we have someday soon, we all will be together if the fates allow. Notice that that moment of doubt in if the fates allow hits different when there was doubt at the beginning, someday soon as well. So you're bookending that phrase with doubt. Someday soon, hopefully we all will be together. But if the fates allow, they may not allow it. Yeah, the first one through the years will all be together if the fates allow almost sounds like, you know, if you're not busy during that time. Yeah, it's more of a throwaway line. (laughs) Yes. Whereas the first one really shows how much it's up to fate and how much we cannot control if we will be together someday soon, which again is hitting in the pandemic. When will we be able to gather with our loved ones again? I don't know. It's a lot more doubt in the first one. It's like this may not work out the way. Doubt. It's all about doubt, you guys. Okay. And then finally, instead of, or second, penultimate, instead of hang a shining star upon the highest bow, we have until then we'll have to muddle through somehow. Isn't that a crazy difference? It's a completely different line. You have, we're decorating a Christmas tree versus everything sucks, but you know what? We're just going to have to get through it. And then here's, here's a really interesting difference in one word. So we had hang a shining star upon the highest bow and have yourself blah, 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 blah. In the original, until then, we'll have to muddle through somehow. So have yourself a merry little Christmas now. And what's so interesting about that one conjunction that's different is the revision is kind of just two different cute things. Let's decorate the Christmas tree and Merry Christmas. You know, like it's kind of just back and forth. (laughs) Right. Let's hang that. Oh, by the way, Merry Christmas. Whereas the until then, we'll have to muddle through somehow. So therefore, and this is the thesis of the song, have yourself a merry little Christmas keyword now. Because we honestly, this song is about hoping for next year, but we don't even know if next year is going to be great. So all you have right now is what's in your control. And what is in your control is to have yourself a merry little Christmas now. It is fascinating to me how 
in the original, every word is important. There are no unimportant words. And in fact, the power of the word now at the end of that is so important. It's irrelevant in the other one. You could end it on have yourself a merry little Christmas. Now it's just who cares? Have it now, tomorrow. But now is so important in the in the original, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And I would say the rhyme from Fates Allow, Muddle Through Somehow, Merry Little Christmas Now, just all three of those thematically, everything is up to fate except for what is in your control. And so the the fact that the rhyme carries through that theme as well is just really, really nice in the original. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do, Lauren, because you've been so nice about this. <laughs> uh, rather than sing these two, if you could sing just the original Judy Garland, the whole song for us, then that'll be a nice way to end it, okay? Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. Next year, all our troubles will be out of sight. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the Yuletide gay. Next year, all our troubles will be miles away. Once again, as in olden days, happy golden days of yore. Faithful friends who are dear to us will be near to us once more. Someday soon we all will be together, if the fates allow. Until then, we'll have to muddle through somehow. So have yourself a merry little Christmas now. That was so beautiful. Thank you so much, Lauren. Um, Lauren Hi'ilani. Well, more you guys. Uh, Lauren, you're tearing it up on TikTok right now. Tell everybody your address or. Oh you my know, God. Why are we about. plugging my TikTok yeah, on your podcast? All right, folks. If you like Avatar, the last airbender in Hamilton, mm-hmm. at Lauren Hi'ilani, L-A-U-R-E-N-H-I-I-L-A-N-I. Thank you, Lauren. Anything else? Happy Kwanzaa, everybody. Yeah. See, she keeps it a hundred right at the, <laughs> <laughs> at the last. Okay. okay. Thank you, Lauren. Love you much. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Simmons.
Welcome back, everybody. We've got a little holiday treat for you. Uh, and on two fronts here. Uh, first of all, we're going to talk to one of the most versatile people in showbiz and has always been an inspiration to me personally. And I've been fortunate to work with him and admire his work at the same time. And I'm so happy that he's on the show, but he also brings with him a nice holiday treat for the family and everyone to enjoy. Um, you all remember him from directing movies such as House Party, Boomerang, classics like that. He's been involved in so many things over the years. His resume is so long. But guys, Candy Cane Lane is a new movie on Amazon Prime. It's hilarious. It's really funny. Starring Eddie Murphy, um, Tracy Ellis Ross, and some really funny people. Uh, visually, it's just it's just so, so cool. And it's so nice to have him here to talk to him. How? Why have I had this podcast for this long and I have not had Reggie Hudlin on? Reggie, welcome to Black on the Air. Uh, it's so great to be here. Uh, again, as you said, it's great to work with people you are fans of and admire. Completely. That is, uh, I am the lucky one in this equation. <laughs> you know, Reggie's one of those quiet, I call him a quiet pioneer. You know, he doesn't, he's not out there tooting his own horn. He's getting stuff done in so many different ways. But man, you open the door for so many people, Reg. You're so many people. Giving, your, giving you your flowers at the start of the talk here. Flowers that I'm sure people are giving you now, hopefully, or have been giving you, you know, recognizing. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, you're right. Uh, I often go, feels like I should be more self-promotional, but it no, just it's not your personality, really. Not my personality at all. Uh, yeah. And it's like, oh, well, I'll, I'll just, we'll see what happens. But, you know, uh, yes, look, when someone like yourself, um, who is... Uh, such an accomplished person, uh, so tasteful, uh, such an extraordinary body of work yourself. Oh. You go, well, the people who I respect, um, and, you know, respect what I do. So, you know, that's no small thing. It's fun to work with people who you admire and then it turns out well, right? <laughs> you know, because there's always the fear that, uh-oh, something might go the other way here. You know? Yeah, no, no. There's <laughs> always that, as they say, you know, don't meet your heroes, all those. Yes. Uh, although I have to say, for the most part, working with people I'm fans of has turned out to be really good. Yeah. So uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't necessarily know that that is true in practice. I've found that most people who are really accomplished, you can usually find a common ground with them of some decency and stuff like that. It, I feel like it's the people who aren't really that good, you know, or, or they don't have that same, I don't know if I'm explaining this right, but those are the ones that are I don't want to call them fakers because some of those people will accomplish, but you know what I'm saying? The, the true blue ones whose work is unassailable. Let me put it like that. You know, there's, there's kind of a, a calmness about their persona. Uh, they're not threatened by, by things the way some people are in showbiz. Cause there's a lot of people in showbiz. Who, it feels like they're just threatened by everything. It's like, it's so exhausting to be around them. Yes. Uh, there, look, I mean, there are people who definitely are like, uh, who obviously had some trauma somewhere yeah, right. in their career or yes. in their life. <laughs> yes. Like, ah! You know, like they, they live life in a, in a defensive crouch. Right. Yes. Um, and I can, 
I understand the reasons why that can happen to a person. Sure. Um, the problem is the sometimes the attitude it takes to survive mm-hmm. undermines your ability to thrive. Mm. Wow. Because it's so defensive and it's so, uh, it's not built out of a creative impulse. It's built out of a self-defense, a defensive impulse, right? Right. I mean, look, I understand uh, the need to protect yourself or uh, yeah. to mod- moderate risk, but there, there are times where you actually need to be open and you yeah. need to take risk if you're actually going to go to that next level. Yeah. And a lot of people have a hard time managing that. Right. Yeah. It's so interesting. Well, let's get to candy cane lane. Cause this is completely different for you. I've, you know, you're doing a traditional, we could call holiday movie, you know, feel good. Uh, not, not that your work is cynical, but there's no modern cynicism or that type of thing. By the way, I love these types of movies. I was so excited to see you do it. Um, I don't, I like earnestness, I guess is the right term, you know, or, when you can wear that on your sleeve in a nice way. Um, the uh, Like, I'm a fan of so many of the Christmas movies that have been done before, <laughs> you know, all those types of things. What drew, How did this project come about for you? Well, you know, it's once, I mean, I, I'll go way back, right? What's the okay. real genesis, right? It's like, once my kids kind of figured out what I did. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and we watched movies together and, there was a whole, uh, you know, there were movies I had made that they could not see, right? Ah, and in fact, interesting. Uh, I remember them visiting me on the set of Django Unchained, which I was yeah. a producer on. Come on, kids, come on down. <laughs> <laughs> so we walk onto set, and at that point in the movie, the big shootout had happened. So the mm-hmm. walls are literally dripping with blood, right? How, how old were your kids? Uh, they point? were all knee high, right? Oh, wow. So they walk into this bloody environment and Quentin is at the top of the stairway and he sees us walk in and he goes, it's the Hutland Cosby show at nine o'clock on TV one. Right. Like, because we seemed so the opposite of the environment we were in. And, uh, the, you know, basically my kids were like, this is all fine. This was nice. (laughs) But, um, Leonardo DiCaprio just said, can't wait for you to see this in 15 years because they are way too young for this. Yeah. So they said, why don't you make a movie for us that we can watch now? Interesting. Uh, So uh, I was like, okay, excitement accepted. I want to make a movie for my family and for all the other families like Mm. mine. And I love Christmas movies. I love this kind of stuff. So, and I had, I mean, I'm one of those people who has a nine-hour Christmas playlist. <laughs> so I've been walked around with all these impulses in mm-hmm. this world and couldn't get it going. So then I had a general meeting with Amazon, and I, I'm like, by the way, I want to do a Christmas movie. And they're like, we mm-hmm. have a Christmas movie. Eddie Murphy's attached. Uh, mm-hmm. Would you like to read the script? Well, yes, I would. So read the script. Super exciting because the potential of what it could be. And my thing was, I love this. I just want to make it crazier. You don't go far enough. Right. So now the the premise of this movie is people are competing on a so-called candy cane lane neighborhood with their uh, decorations on the front lawns and that type of stuff. Right. Yeah. 
So you go, okay, this is what you think the movie's about. And right. then it takes a hard left turn. Um, and my thing was, look, I want to make this Ghostbusters at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> That's, that was essentially my pitch. By the way, let me, let me, I, I'm, don't forget where you are. Guys, I love that Reggie just said that because Reggie is one of the masters at that, distilling something that simply, you know, Ghostbusters at Christmas is a brilliant line. I love that. Yeah. Right. Because mm-hmm. people, even if they didn't know what that meant, it right. sounded right. And like, it, evokes, that, it evokes an essence of something of what you're trying to accomplish. I love that. Yeah. Right. So then I put together a presentation deck with photographs and videos and all this stuff. Like, this is what the movie's going to look and feel like. Oh. Uh, then I show that to the studio and I show that to Eddie. And Eddie gave a really amazing compliment. He said, I have never seen a, a, a you know, a, a, this kind of presentation. This is the best one I've ever seen. I was like, you're Eddie Murphy. Right. And you had, so, of course, worked with Eddie before and knew Eddie. Yes. You know. Were you at this time on board or were you, were you pitching yourself as the director or what, yes. what was, okay, got it. You were saying, this is my vision, guys. If we're going to do this, I'm the guy to do this. And right. this is why. And, and, and mm-hmm. are you down to ride this train to this right. Exactly. It's not just I'm doing this, but this is how I want to do this. If I'm your person now, how that, I love that. How important is that? Because you've been around long enough. You're not just going to do something to do it. It's important for you also to make sure they're on board with your vision of something. If you're going to do it, is that right? Yes. Uh, for, for a bunch of reasons. One is look, ironically, here's the thing. When I first worked with Eddie Murphy, uh, you know, doing boomerang classic, you know, we, uh, it was a script with a great premise, uh, but the script wasn't there. Okay. But we had a release date. And they were like, look, we got to make this release date. We d- we don't have time for you to do rewrites. Uh, you just got to make this movie. Because that was during the Eddie Murphy star vortex period where there had to be a movie every like quarter or something like that. And, and, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, and look, he's literally this incredible asset for, yes. for the company, for Paramount Pictures. So I said, okay. So we did what I guess Eddie Murphy had never done. We did rehearsals. Uh, we put the cast together and the re- rehearsals were really just improv sessions. Right? right. And we did a lot. We just take the premise of a scene and freestyle. But again, we had the most amazing cast. We had, right. you know, Martin Lawrence and David Lanning Greer and mm-hmm. Allie Berry and Robin Givens. So we're jamming and freestyling. We're coming up with all these ideas. We videotape them. We have those transcribed and we started integrating those ideas into the script. So we essentially, uh, you know, we're reshaping the script as, as we went in the process. Okay. Um, but I knew with this movie, which we had a similar circumstance, like, look, this is a Christmas movie. We have to get it out in time for Christmas mm-hmm. and we don't have a lot of time. Uh, so I said, look, this writer, Kelly Younger is really talented. He comes out of, you know, Pixar and Disney and they're, they're, they're very collaborative. And we kind of started jamming immediately, mm-hmm. but the scale of the effects were so big is that we really had to be on the same page. Like we've got to, we have create new scenes and we have to create these mm-hmm. elaborate effects and you know, you can't just kind of sneak and do it. Everyone has to know what you're doing and be on board because it's it's too big and, and too ambitious and we're moving too fast 
for us not to be in general agreement. Yeah, it's not just, you can't just say, you know, I think it'd be better if we did this, that. So, well, there's effects in this scene. So, you know, everything has to be so meticulously planned, which makes, you know, that uh, Apatow approach or that Hudlin Boomerang approach a little more tenuous. You have to be mindful of being creative as you go, right? Yeah, yeah. And and it was, what, what was great was that Amazon was, 100% supportive of this uh, this direction of getting bigger and crazier. Uh, Kelly was an incredible collaborator in terms of getting bigger and crazier. So, mm-hmm. and Eddie was like, yeah, yeah. Oh, we're doing that. Oh, we're making it. So, so, <laughs> so everybody was on board with going, going, going weird, yeah. going, going big. Um, and, you know, there was, you know, then people go going, wow, this is going to cost a lot. I'm like, it'll be fine. You know? Because, <laughs> uh-huh. um, you know, the, the thing about movies today is it's all about scope and scale and spectacle. Mm-hmm. And if you're not doing that, whether in a movie theater or even on a streamer, people have got to feel like this is a big deal. This is an event. Uh, I've got to see that because there's just so many choices, right? Mm-hmm. There's so many movies and so many TV shows. And then there's stuff on, you know, Twitter and TikTok. I mean, you, there's a lot of entertainment options. So, and in the world of Christmas entertainment, there's at least 30 original Christmas movies every, every year. Mm -hmm. Right. So how do you stand out from all the other Christmas movies, let alone every other kind of entertainment? Yeah. Because there's the thematic aspect of it, which, you know, there's only so many Christmas themes you can touch upon, you know. Um, and some have been touched upon brilliantly, of course, you know. And then there's the cosmetic aspect of it, you know. So it's like figuring out at the heart, what exactly is this movie about? Like, when did you get to that? I mean, I know the that broad statement that you have Ghostbusters and everything, you know, from a presentational standpoint and what, what you want the audience to feel, but what for you, Reggie, when you got to the nugget of, okay, what, what am I saying about Christmas with this movie? Like, what do I want them to come away with? Did you have that? And and when did that come in? Well, it was a couple of things. Cause the studio was like, look, we love all the big craziness that you're adding to this, but a Christmas movie is about family and love right. and catching the feelings. Right. And I said, absolutely. If you don't have that, um, then it doesn't work. Uh, and, and, and that's any movie. I mean, I think, right. you know, uh, it's been an interesting year in movies, right? Because a lot of big sort of no brainer movies have collapsed and, you know, y- y- you don't want to be too generalizing, right? Each movie is its own test case. Right. But mm-hmm. I think there is a danger where you can get too caught up in the spectacle and the effects. Absolutely. And if that's not grounded in sincere emotion, then it's all for naught, right? Um, So I assured them, I said, look, no, 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 no. We're really going to make this about this family. Um, And the thing that I loved about the script is that it very much reminded me of my own family to the point (laughs) of like, well, we say that. I mean, we, those are conversations that have happened in our house. So as a, as a piece of casting, I felt 
I've, even this method acting, I feel like this is method directing. Like I right. 100% am in the skin of these characters. Yeah. So, uh, and uh, so I was really into it. And Eddie, who has 10 children, uh, Christmas is really important to them. So sure. we were both kind of in the same phase of life mode of like, I mean, we talked a lot while making the movie about our kids. Interesting. Like, you know, one of his kids just moved back into the house and he was so happy. He was like, ah, 21 year olds. That's funny. Oh my God, I'm happy every day to see her. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. Uh, how, how that's the, that was just the most exciting thing that happened to him. He was so happy about getting to see his, uh, one of his kids every day. I always feel like Eddie actually is very conventional, you know, um, in many ways. He became a star at such a young age that I feel like he missed out on a lot of early adulthood adventure type of living, you know, and he got, you know, when you become a star like that, you have too many sycophants around you and people kissing your ass and all that stuff, you know, and I think having children and he's been married for a while now too. I think, I think he's, I would argue and I haven't talked to Eddie about this, but I would, if you ask him if he's the happiest he's ever been right now, I think he'd probably say yes. That's a really good question. Uh, yeah, I mean, he certainly, I mean, look, what's great about when you look at Eddie as a, you know, as we, as we all try to figure out our lives, right? Yeah. And we're all trying to find where does happiness lie, right? <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> and you go, here's a man who can literally have whatever he wanted, right? Yeah. And this is his choice. He'd right. rather be married uh, and be surrounded by his children. He, you know, like yeah. that, he, like, he's like, no, no, this is my choice. This is my affirmative choice. Yeah. That is That is quite a lesson for all of us. How is it like uh, just collaborating with them? Did you guys have a lot of the same language um, in a lot of this vision? Did, did you find areas where you're like, mm, uh, I don't know. You know? Yeah, I mean, he was, I mean, what was great is because we had worked together before, he, you know, we certainly had a trust in each other and we yeah. had a, a sense of each other's working styles. And Eddie likes to work fast. And I think that part uh, was shaped in large part from coming out of Saturday Night Live, where Monday there's no show. And then Saturday you're doing it. So it's almost, I I was telling, I said, oh, so it's kind of like Miles Davis making kind of blue, right? You just, (sighs) and he's like, so, you know, I was like, yeah, no, that's, Use that analogy. Tell them that next time. <laughs> you <Right>. know, that's <laughs> what you're doing. You're just getting together with some bad dudes and you're just kind of jamming. Right. And look, I, I, you know, whether I'm working with Eddie or not, comedy is ideally freshly made, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you definitely can overwork it and wear it out. So right. I like to work fast, uh, working with comedians and just, you know, man, rehearse, but stay fresh, stay open. Uh, and with the group we had assembled with Tracy Ellis Ross and uh, Robin Thede and Nick Offerman and Chris Red, I mean, they, because they're all, they can't believe they're making a movie with Eddie Murphy. Everyone's excited. Yeah. Uh, everyone's trying to make Eddie Matt laugh. 
right? Because you just go, that would be, you know, a gold medal, right? Oh, I actually entertained the guy so who funny. taught me how to entertain, right? So everyone's shooting their shot and there's just a lot of great stuff going around. And, I, you know, I always use the analogy that Eddie's kind of like Michael Jordan, right? Mm-hmm. Did he win the game by himself? Yes. <laughs> but he'd rather have Scottie Pippen He'd rather have the worm. Please put, give me Steve Kerr. Give me a team. And this is the ideal working circumstance. Yeah. And such an amazing cast. I'm glad you mentioned some of them. Having somebody like, you know, Tracy Ellis Ross, who's also such a good actor, you know, and you chose comedians who can really act too, which I know for you is very important. You don't want to just have comedians who are just funny, but they're not understanding what a scene is about. Yes. Yeah. And, and, Watching Tracy, who's a wonderful actress oh, and so a wonderful brilliant. comedian, yeah. work with Eddie uh, and their instant undeniable chemistry was just a joy. Uh, she knew exactly what to do and mm. they would just play and have fun and go to deep places. Because, you know, a big part of the script is him losing his job. Right. right and right. Um, I kept going. You know, look, this is a really, really important part of the movie um, because, you know, if you're a middle aged man and you lose your job, the probability is if you get another job, you'll never make as much as that job you just got fired from. Right. Right. So um, and we need to convey that because that's a 100 percent relatable thing to so many Americans. Um, And Eddie played that. And when Tracy played her reaction to that, you know, where she is loving and supportive, I was like, well, shoot, that's what, that's what I want to happen to me. <laughs> like, that's the dream, right? Does mm-hmm. your wife go, what did you do? <laughs> or does your wife go, we're going to, we're going to get over it, honey. Uh, so would you like to see Eddie play more uh, dramatic roles? Well, I, I look, I think that, Everything we've seen Eddie do is literally, uh, this, this is where the iceberg analogy really works. I mm-hmm. think two thirds of his talent has still never been seen. And really? that doesn't two mean. Two thirds? That's a, that's a big percentage. Well, I mean, meaning that, and so many people just go, well, don't you want to do drama? It, it's not just as simple as that, right? I mean, like mm-hmm. to me, um, is Goodfellas a drama or a comedy? Right. Yeah. I know what you mean. It's definitely drama in terms of uh, it's uh, storytelling, I guess you you could call it, but it's filled with humor. Right. That's what I'm saying. Goodfellas is one of the funniest movies ever. Right. And and Sopranos is one of the funniest TV shows. This is is what I'm saying. So, you know, this this kind of, you know, hard bifurcation is not always how you want to describe stories. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I, I think Eddie has just an enormous amount of, t- I mean, as we know, he's a musician and, you know, he's got all these talents. You know, if you said, oh, we're going to make a silent movie with Eddie Murphy. I'd love to figure out what that is. You know, <laughs> there's a bunch of people <laughs> That's who can do that and just be amazing. You yeah. know, so there's all kind of things that you can do with uh, a talent as versatile as that. I thought he was so good as Dolomite. To me, that's a good example of the types of things he can do where you're right. You know, there's 
it's hard to even say what genre that movie is, you know, but, uh, he's, he's being, he's Eddie Murphy in it certainly, but he's this character that's really interesting. Yeah. And, and that came from, I mean, I guess, because over the years between how, between Boomerang and this, you know, every once in a while we talk and I said, you know, you keep every time you, if you go, if you're, you know, you're good with Eddie is if he invites you to come over and you, Puts on Dolomite, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> there's nothing better than watching a Rudy Ray Moore movie with Eddie Murphy because the commentary as the movie plays, it's it's like Mystery Science Theater 3000, but at a genius level, right? Yeah. And I say, well, why don't you make a Rudy Ray Moore movie? I mean, like you should, you should, you know, tell his story. And he did. And I was like, see? So wait, we have you to thank for that, Reggie? I'm, you know, one of the things I do. <laughs> Just suggesting these uh, brilliant things people should do. Right? You know, you ought to do that. You know. Right. I also said that um, Wesley Snipes should play uh, Derville Martin. Oh, very interesting. So I just thought, well, that's pr- literally perfect. You know, he's just like this action hero guy who's directing this movie that he thinks is beneath him. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, Wesley will annihilate that. Wesley Snipes, yeah, he's one of those other kind of actors that there's n- there's not a lot he can't do, I feel like. But he only played like there was a certain range that he, you know, pl- has played. But I th- I feel like he should still be on that screen, you know. Oh, there's no question. I mean, and again, you know, like, look, I mean, I mean, I, look, Chadwick was genius as James Brown. But I'd love to see Wesley's version of James Brown. Of course, Eddie's version on Saturday Night Live. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's one of those parts where you're like, there's five different actors who would do extraordinary versions of yeah. that persona. How important, how do you approach casting as a director, Reggie? What's, uh, what, what, is, what are the types of qualities that are very important for you as a director? Well, I mean, first you start with, you know, what story are you telling? Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you got to, be really uh, honest to the story. I, m- I mean, I remember there have been actors when I was casting House Party, my first movie, and I you, mm-hmm. you don't you kind of don't know anything. You're learning on the job, and uh, there was an amazing actress who came in, and I said, "Wow, she's a movie star, but she's not right for this role." Mm. Um, and then I saw her a couple of years later for Boomerang. I'm like, "Oh God, she's even better." But she's still not right for this role, right? Uh, <laughs> and you know, she to went on actors. to become a star. I'm not going to say her name. I don't want to be embarrassing, but but she is she she obviously is a star and was going to be a star. But you still go doesn't so you can be a star, you can be awesome, but not right for a part. Yeah. And that's the part you really want to just say to your actor friends over and over again, not really, I'm not being a jerk. I love you and I respect you, but like this role requires a certain thing. And yeah. that's where the, the, the grown up ruthlessness of casting comes in. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think a lot of actors feel like the best actor got the role. So no, that's, that's not how it's computated. The person best suited for the part got the role you know it's a huge distinction yeah and that that is the that's the amazing thing it's just who is the like that's that and you know and then you put on top of that 
uh, the business portion of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is now uh, to get a movie made, there's a level of uh, not only just stardom, but um, where are you a star? Mm. Right? Again, you know, referencing Django Unchained, you had, you know, you got, you know, okay, Leo DiCaprio, he can bring in not only, um, uh, well, pretty much the whole world, but the Pacific Rim, right? He has this big following here and, you know, uh, Christoph Waltz, well, you know, Germany and Austria, right? You know, so you go, these are really important regions mm-hmm. where if, if you have the right actor who can connect to these different parts of the, uh, of the world, these key audience pockets, then the studio goes, well, this increases the probability that the movie will be successful because there are fans, not just in our little world, but in the entire world. Yeah. Oof. I mean, movie making today, too, is it's got to be so different, especially from your standpoint, with the whole streaming factor put in versus a movie opening. I never thought I'd see the day where, you know, an Eddie Murphy movie would, would, when you guys were in the theater for like a week. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, 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 exactly. Um, you know, because it was designed. I mean, the deals were done because and all that streaming like, movie. Right. And then on top of it, because of the writer, I mean, the writers and actors strike, we were never sure if the actors would be able to go out and promote the film, Hmm. Uh, which is a giant thing. I mean, we had all these great actors who were eager to promote the movie because they were proud of their work uh, as they should be, but we didn't know, right? And it's just being in a theater is a risk. Yes, absolutely. The audience still hasn't recovered from COVID. Like they've fallen out of the habit of going to movies. And if you don't have actors on talk shows and so on saying, please come see my movie, then it gets uh, too risky. Are people still staying away from the theater? Do you think? I will tell you that my wife and daughter have not been in a movie theater since COVID. Wow. And they were, they used to go regularly. Yes. I yeah. mean, uh, I mean, mainly cause I dragged them. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was just me and my son. We, we go to the movies, <laughs> but I cannot get half of my family to come with me. What do you think is going to change that? Or do you think it's done? We're just, we're in this land of different habits that people have now, and it's just going to evolve from there. Or do you think, okay, maybe in another year, Things will get back to normal. Where where do you lie? Where where do you think about that? Because I'm not sure what to think, Reggie. I'll be honest with you. A lot of me thinks like we may be in new habit land right now. Well, here's the thing. I mean, I think there's two big factors there. I mean, one is if normal means as it was before, no, that's not mm-hmm. a thing. Right? But look, the introduction of each new platform so far has not eradicated a platform, but it has changed what the platform did. For example, radio used to have dramas and comedies and all Mm -hmm. kinds of things, right? Used to listen to the Lone Ranger or Sherlock Holmes. And that was a threat to motion pictures during that time. Timber McGee and Molly, Mm -hmm. right? And then television became the place where those things existed. And radio became music and news and now talk. Right. Mm -hmm. So 
those things that radio used to do doesn't happen anymore on that medium. Yeah. Uh, you noticed even before COVID and all that, that movies used to be where serious dramas existed. Mm-hmm. And silly things happened on television, right? But now that's flipped, where serious dramas like Secession happen on television. Mm-hmm. And we make movies out of what were once TV shows. And superhero adventures. Right, exactly. You know, Superman was a TV show, and now it's, a, it's the biggest movies of the year, right? And Batman, those were TV shows. So, uh, voice at the bottom of the sea, whatever, right? All those things. So, you know, so the sense of spectacle that came from science fiction became what movies were about. So now what will movies be now moving forward? We'll see Mm -hmm. because look what happened this summer where the two biggest movies were Barbie and Oppenheimer, right? Two very different movies, but they did not have a Roman numeral following, right? Um, while all the franchises that came out last summer all seem to run out of gas, right? Uh, So you just go, oh, well, does that mean that those particular franchises have kind of um, run out of gas? Or are the audience done with that kind of storytelling and they want to see something different? Mm -hmm. What do you think it is? I sincerely don't know. I mean, I'm like, hmm. What's going to happen next? I mean, I remember um, when the, the Black Panther uh, sequel came out and my, my son and I went to the premiere and we came back. Oh, you got to see it. My wife says, great. We'll just turn it on. I said, no, it's not on TV. <sighs> honey, you got to go to the theater to see it. No, no, no. It's on. No, honey. That was a li- that was a short time during COVID. But that's over now. Now movies are back in theaters. And she she could not accept Like, no, I'm stuck on that. Yeah, so interesting. It's fascinating to me how fast the pandemic changed people's ideas about getting together to watch a movie. I mean, because you're right, that's over 100 years of of habits, you know, of cultural habit, you know, because people started getting together in large numbers, you know, in 1915 to see Charlie Chaplin and that type of thing. It's gone in and out and that type of thing, but it would be fascinating if that's it, if that was the run, like once, once in a while, thank you, Barbie. But I mean, it would be fascinating if we're at a moment right now, Reggie, where it's like, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, we have a swap meet once a month where we show a movie you know, and that's kind of what it is now. Thank you, old movie theaters. <laughs> Look, at the same time, then Top Gun comes out and everyone goes and everyone has a great time. Right. And they go movies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so or, you know, uh, Taylor Swift comes out and yeah. they so they just go, OK, well, OK, well, what do people want to see? Let's really think about. Well, that's what confusing to me because it's like, but that they're just watching a concert. They're not really watching a movie. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, I, but I, they I, are in a movie theater watching something together. Well, yeah, but I think when you go, OK, well, what's really happening here? Right. And you go, well, there's emotional connection. Mm-hmm. Right. There's something about how people felt about Top Gun. And the fact yeah. that the movie delivered on that, those feelings and that nostalgia. And for people who hadn't even seen the first Top Gun, who still had a good time in that theater. And you go, well, that worked. Yeah. 
Top Gun was really fascinating to me for that reason, because it delivered on so many different levels and it delivered unbelievably well. You know, it, the nostalgia level for people, you know, re- familiar with the original was just as good as the new level for the people that, you know, they weren't as familiar. They were still into that movie and everything and still played for them. That's so rare. Right. And I also, I look at my 16 year old son now, right. Who, you know, he grew up on Pixar and Marvel. Right. Uh, but the movie he was really excited about this summer was Oppenheimer. Really? And he's 16. Why was he excited about Oppenheimer? Did you ask him? You know, uh, and this is the, that tricky thing uh, when you work in the business, you mm-hmm. know, because my son's like, I'm my own man. I'm not. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. So, you know, when I first tried to get him into movies, like, you know, uh, I made a lot of mistakes. Like I showed him Jason the Argonauts. He was like, oh, what? <laughs> then I showed him Kubrick Spartacus. He was like, oh, whoa. You know? So funny. And then I redeemed myself when I showed him the social network, mm. uh, David Fincher's. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was like, whoa, wait a minute. Because now this was relevant to their lives, right? Mm-hmm. And then I, I said, okay, now or never. So I showed Godfather 1 and 2. Goodfellas and Casino. <laughs> and he goes, oh, movies can be that? Yes. Yes, they can, young man. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he goes, boy, that daddy, that guy, Robert De Niro, he's really good. Yes, yes, he is, in fact, really talented. <laughs> and he goes, and these people, they're terrible people, but. I really injured them. Yes, that's that. Yes, that, you know, those are complicated feelings. And, and he loved that. He loved the complexity and the depth and the entertainment value of all four of those movies. Hmm. Right. So maybe just using my son as a test case, that's we're, we're moving back to that early seventies moment hmm. where you can't be too indulgent. Mm-hmm. But I mean, when you look at those four movies, they've got the action elements and all that, right? But they are, you know, they have a complexity and a depth mm-hmm. that you can have your cake and eat it too. And maybe, maybe that's the error moving toward, or maybe that's one of the categories that are hard to execute, right? We're naming four of the greatest movies ever made, right? Mm-hmm. But those. Have a viability um, that you know stands the test of time. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, Get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. 
What's the hardest thing about making an adult film? We're getting the money. Uh, <laughs> why, why don't people want to make adult films? By adult films, Reggie brings up the 70s. 70s to me is a classic era for adult films. Films that aren't meant to be summer blockbusters, that type of thing. They're, they're closer to what, you know, they're films more than what we might call movies. You know, not to say that they're arts or that type of thing, but they required your attention. You watched it. There were adult themes at play there. They were mm-hmm. complex with complex characters. And they, they treated their subject seriously, you know? Right. Well, well, the thing is that there is a thriving place uh, where that, that kind of storytelling is welcome. And it's called television. Yeah. And, you know, you see it. I mean, HBO kind of established that as a safe place. And then mm-hmm. everyone said, oh, we want to make things like that. So there's a lot of people yeah. who have great respect for great writing and great acting. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can make. You, that's a place where you can tell those stories and you will be enthusiastically embraced. I mean, House right? of Cards came, yeah. I mean, right out of Netflix. That was t- over 10 years ago now, I think, right? Right. Uh, that's what I'm saying. So so when you say, so people are you people enjoy that kind of content. Mm-hmm. So if you go, wait, you want me to get off my couch, which is where I see stuff like that, <laughs> and, and spend money and go to the movies, right? So- what are what extra are you doing mm-hmm. to justify the additional costs and hassle? So if you go, well, we shot it on IMAX and there's going to be a nuclear explosion and it's going to be this amazing history level with the best actors in the world. And you go, oh, Oppenheimer. OK, we'll go. Right. Uh, because ev- everything Every the value proposition to the viewer is this is plus stuff, and this is worthy of the effort, and that's basically what that's the covenant you have to make with the audience. This is not this. We're going to give you everything you love about great TV, plus plus plus. I think there are some directors out there, like Chris Nolan, who can bring people to the movie theaters to the big screen. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, from a director standpoint, how how good is that? <laughs> I mean, is, does it seem like there's more hope for that type of thing, where maybe directors are the hope for the film future of of people? And I mean that seriously, where they go, I trust Chris Nolan, you know, I trust Reggie Helen, I trust this director to give me a full plate of happiness here that I'm going to walk away with and be satisfied. Because actors gave us that for a long time too, you know. Look, I I think it's just creatives, right? I mean, look, you know, Margot Robbie was the driving force. Yeah. You know, she found a great partner in Greta Gerwig and, you know, worked with, you know, Noah, you know. And, you know, they put together this team and they made an exceptional film, right? Uh, So it's it's just people who are like, who are ambitious. And you have to find a studio who's willing to support that level of ambition, right? right? And... The trick is you got to get in early, right? I mean, you got to go, okay, this person is ambitious and we're going to support them because I see what they're doing, right? Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean you just let them be indulgent financially or in terms of running time or whatever it is, but we see what this could could be and where this person's going. I mean, because that's the thing. I mean, I I look at all kinds of different mediums. I look at the music business and you just go, well, what happened, right? And yeah. there's a lot of things that happened. There was this technological shift, right, where people could get music for free online. And 
the old record label said, well, we're going to sue our audience to make them stop that. You go, well, yeah. that's a bad idea. You know? <laughs> yes, right. And then finally a tech company said, hey, don't steal, but pay 99 cents per song or, right. or two bucks per song. And on one hand, the record labels lost control of pricing, which is an important part of any business. At yeah. the same time, um, you know, it was like, okay, well, you know, music goes through Netflix and then Spotify happened and, you know, and there's only a few platforms now. And, yeah. you know, so the, as now we look at all these streamers and you go, okay, are there too many streamers now? Will the, will the number of streamers reduce? We don't know. We'll see what plays out. But, you know, there was an important thing lost in that transition was that, you know, there was an important thing that record labels did, which is, you know, they had A&R and they said, look, right. you're a talented person. Let's find the right songs and the right producers. Or if you are one of those people who can do everything like Prince, we're just still going to figure out how to support you, even though you're pretty autonomous. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that position is underrated because uh, you're kind of a creative middleman, so you get vilified. Yeah, but it's actually yes. a really important job, yeah. right? And when it's done right, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, we've lost that mostly in the music business. I mean, there there was a time when, let, let's say, Uptown Records, right? My friend mm-hmm. Andre Harrell. Mm-hmm. You know, he was part of the explosion of black music labels where... Uh, whether you were independent or even if you were part of a corporation, you could go from being an unknown discovered on the street um, and you could be produced, songwriting, marketed, music video, all by black creatives who understood the work you were doing. Right. And now that's kind of gone. Right. Uh, it's unfortunate. And I, I hope that the film and TV business stays nimble enough that we maintain the right folks as executives who do the right encouragement because, you know, I mean, we always go, well, we're the creative people and, you know, we got it all. We have all the answers, but most people don't. I mean, you know, there's a few, uh, you know, creatives who can do it all themselves, but most people need a little help and having that right creative fit uh, is important. I mean, that's why I encourage so many people who want to be, you know, writers and directors. And it's like, well, maybe, you know, there's there are other jobs, too. <laughs> you know, maybe yeah. look at those other jobs, you know, on the other side. Uh, and having been a, a, an executive for a brief time. Right. It's really great to work on the other side and go, oh, that's what I was doing wrong. And now that I'm back, I, I feel like I am. A, I'm a better creative person having been on the other side of the desk. So you ran BET for a few years. And what's the biggest thing you got out of that? Um, Was it when you were first in that seat, was it almost a shock Uh, when you get to see the curtain pulled back on some things, maybe that you hadn't had the curtain pulled back on before and the sobering process of being on that other side? What was that like? Uh, It was a bunch of things. One is I had this illusion about what the job was. Mm -hmm. I thought, What's going to be like being a producer? You go, no, no, no. It's like being an executive. I mean, <laughs> it's, mm. it is not 
like being a producer because uh, you're managing a lot of things and a lot of people. And yeah. a lot of times you're not even the executive on it. You're managing an executive. Who is the executive on it? Who is right. not the producer on it? Right? It's a lot about management, really. Yes, it's a lot creative. about management. Yeah. And it's a lot about, I mean, there's, there's, there's two philosophies, right? Um, there's betting on the right horse and there's riding the horse, hmm. right? And some companies like, no, we're going to ride the horse, meaning we're going to, work alongside you almost like a producer to get this project made. And sometimes like, no, I'm going to bet on you. And, you know, I'll weigh in from time to time, but I think you, you go, right? You can say, well, is one thing better than the other? Well, it all depends. How good are you at you doing your job as an executive? How good are you at doing your job as a creator? And, you know, how that all works. Um, so that was a great education. But I mean, my goal was I want to be the executive that I wanted to work with. Sure. Right. So you didn't give any notes? <laughs> well, I, I gave notes. And that's the thing. You give notes because you're just like, because I also am a fan. Right. Right. And that's one of the things you learn. You go, well, I'm giving you a job because you look like a solution to a problem. Mm -hmm. And it's it's important to remember that even at the worst moments of, you know, going head to head, yeah. you go, but, but they gave you a job because they believed in you. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause you go, you know, they're just here to put me down. No, they're not here to put you down. They're here because they think they can win with you. Right. Now you may not agree on the path to winning, but when you realize you're actually all in the boat together, and you're just arguing which way to shore, mm -hmm. right? Then it's a different conversation than you're trying to stop me from going to shore, which is obviously that way. And they're like, but no, I have a compass in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. You were, you're so rational about things too, but you're rational, you're a rational creative to me, as opposed to a creative suit, you know? Yes. Like, to me, you're you're on the correct side now as somebody who should be producing things rather than on that other side, even though, you know, I'm completely capable of it. But I think your spirit is in this role. Right. Yeah. Right. And that was the thing. What I learned is after, after doing it for several years, I was like, this is great. <laughs> I learned a lot. I'm a right. better creative person. But yes. my joy, if I if I if I if I if I have a heart attack and I die behind this desk, I will. Yes. feel Right. But if I die on set, I will feel happy. Yes, I understand. You know, and like when working with Reggie, I'm, you know, working, we're working on a project now. Every time Reggie tells you what the project is, he sounds like a little kid who's so excited about it. That's what I like that little kid in you, even how you're laughing now. I love that about you. It's always there. You know, it means to me, that's when I know something is special. You know, it's like, OK, that. Cheshire cat grin is coming out from Reggie right now. That means there's something about this thing that I better pay attention to because it's really, really special here. How much does that drive you having that being able to love something like that? Well, this is what I learned. You know, we all have ups and downs in our careers, right? So you know, there's a point where you go, well, I need to take a job because I would like to keep my house, right? Absolutely, correct. And you do things which they're worthy, right. right? But you don't love. And you go, ah, oh. but love is what puts you in the winner's circle. Right. Oh, wow. Right. So you go, oh, okay. 
So I can only do what I love. If I really just want to knock the ball, if I want to hit a home run, I've got to do what I love. Right. So then your filter of what to do or not do becomes very simple, mm. right? So I just do what I love. So you're right. If I'm calling you, he's going, oh, my God. Can I know, you exactly. We can trick them into doing this? <laughs> I know. This is going to be the best. I know. And, and, and they feel that. And they go, whoa, okay, this guy, he's very excited. Perhaps we should listen, like you say, because it's not transactional. It is passionate. Exactly. exactly. And you go, okay, or do, or do you feel my passion? Because, you know, we can make, you know, we, you know, let's, let's go. So that's the thing. And you find people who feel the way you do. And then all of a sudden, it's literally this love multiplier. And, you know, love is underrated. Love yeah. is a soft power, but it is a mighty power. It's kind of a lesson in pitching, you know. People have always asked me, what's the secret to pitching? I think if you just told them, love what you're selling, you know, <laughs> that you're, the feeling, uh, how you feel about something coming through is as much an elixir of them actually understanding it, you know? Yes. You want them to fall in love with your project, not understand it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so for me, the, the love factor, because people, I, I get sent projects, I go, that's a great idea. <laughs> and I'm, sh someone should make that. But right. I admire it, but I don't love it. Yeah. Do you, now, you've worked in so many different genres, too. One, I just want to mention Sydney because it's still, I believe, it's still available on Apple Plus. Uh, the documentary that Reggie, you directed and produced it, I believe, right? Yes. Yeah. And it's, guys, it's so good. You have to see it. It's on the life of Sydney Poitier, who, of course, is, you know, both of our idols. And uh, it's just so good. You have to see it. Um, watch it a couple of times too. This, this type of film you want to watch at least three times. <laughs> you know, I was fortunate enough to see it in a the theater and I watched it at home too, you know, and I watched it a couple of times. But what I wanted to ask you is because you've worked in so many different genres, do you have a favorite genre or is there one you haven't tackled yet? You go, you know, Larry, I haven't done this genre and I really need to do it. Look, I think it's probably bad career wise because it's easier if you've got a brand, you're Alfred Hitchcock, master of suspense or mm -hmm. whatever, right? Uh, but for me, rotating the crops and doing <laughs> things, uh -huh. I'm excited because I haven't done it before. I'm a little scared, which I yeah. think a little bit of fear is crucial, right? Oh, I could fail. Let me pay attention. When you're like, oh, I got this. I've done this a hundred times. That is the scariest it's attitude. It's a little dangerous. Yeah. And, uh, and when I go back to a genre, having gone away from it, mm -hmm. I come back with uh, renewed enthusiasm. Uh, and I look at a guy like Howard Hawks, right? Uh, this That's an old-timey reference, right? Yeah. But Red River, one of the greatest Westerns ever made. Yeah. And then Here's Go Friday, one of the funniest movies ever made. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, I, I want to be a oh, Rob Reiner. I mean, I grew up watching Rob Reiner and you just go, wow, look at all these movies. He yeah. made Misery. Then he made Stand By Me. Then he made Spinal Tap. Yeah. You know, you just go, well, damn, look at that. When Harry so, met Sally, yeah. Uh, I admire that. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so, uh, uh, and writing a comic book teaches me something different than making a TV commercial, which teaches me something different than doing a TV show, which is different from making a movie. So uh, versus making an animated movie or a documentary movie, every time you work in a different style, a different medium, a different format, a different length, 
you go, oh, that's what's unique about that, um, which makes you appreciate each thing a little more. Mm-hmm. Like when you write a comic book and you don't have music and you don't have sound mm-hmm. and you don't even have movement, you just have panels, right? And the trick is, how do I get you to turn the page? Mm. The same one when you do a TV show, uh, let's say a broadcast TV show with commercials, you go, how do you get people to keep watching beyond the commercial? Right. Keep watching. Don't, don't flip. You know, all those, you know, and you sit, you know, or someone's going to the, well, how do I get you to go to the theater? How do I get you to stay in the theater? You know, uh, if you're watching on TV, anything, movies, TV, streaming, how do I get you to put the remote down? Because we all, you Turn on that choice you've made, but it's a tentative choice. Mm-hmm. You hold the remote for at least five <laughs> minutes. And the trick is, what, what moment happens where you go, oh, shit, and you put the remote down and you cross your arms and you settle into the chair, mm. right? And that's, that's job one. Awesome. Um, it's been so great talking to you, Reggie. I know how busy you are, you know, taking this time out. I think uh, at the time we're recording this, I believe it's someone's birthday eve. I believe it is so in fact. Early happy birthday, my friend. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank um, you. I wish you the best in that. A couple of favorites I will ask you um, before we go. Let's start a TV show right now. Favorite TV show you're watching right now? You know, it's because I've been working. Normally, I can watch three shows a quarter. Mm-hmm. Right, right. That's pretty good, actually. I can't even do that much now. It's very depressing. So TV shows I'm watching right now, uh, I mean, there are a lot of things I liked. Like, I liked uh, The Last of Us. I thought that was mm-hmm. a great series. Um, you know, there's also there's TV you watch as appointment viewing, and there's TV you watch before you go to sleep. Oh, okay. And what's, uh, what's the I, I'm stunned. Uh, for a long time, I just watched Ridiculousness uh-huh. for for like because it's funny uh-huh. and you can close your eyes at any point and it doesn't matter. Did you watch? Uh, have you seen Jury Duty? Yes, I watched the first episode of Jury Duty. I was like, oh, this is so clever. Uh, and it also gave me anxiety. Yeah. Yes, it does. <laughs> I, I thought it was super, super clever. It is anxiety inducing. I think uh, no matter how I slice it, I just have to go back to the crown. There's something about the crown that oh, always just, it just draws me in. I just started the new season, so I'm only like an episode in or so. But I just love the crown. I, I don't know what it is. The production value of the crown. Right. The writing, the directing, the acting, the locations, the costumes. There's no part of the crown that isn't truly masterpiece television. The casting and the attention to detail about arguably the most famous people on the earth at any given time. (laughs) You know, I mean, that's that's what's fascinating to me. And we just buy it. We just sit there go, yeah, that's probably what happened. (laughs) Yeah, no, I believe everything they show. I go, because they feel like they're telling the story with integrity. They never feel like we're going through a sensational beat. I agree. I agree. And, and mm. little thing, I guess I remember one time they showed Diane, I'm like, look at that sweater. What a great sweater <laughs> yes. choice. I, I, You're like, uh, this is just a TV show, Reggie. This isn't her doing that. <laughs> but I agree. I don't know. Something about that show. It captures, it captured me, you know. Um, okay. Favorite Christmas movie of all time. Woo. See, I always start with the specials. 
right? Okay, well, let, let's let, let's separate that. Okay, so you get two answers here. Okay, T- because TV Christmas special that is a great category. You're it's right. a okay. strong category. Okay, I have a favorite in that. So favorite TV Christmas special, and then we'll end with Christmas movie since you have done a Christmas movie. We'll Fair. end with that. Well, look, I think it's for me. It's a three way tie Ooh. between Grinch, nice Charlie Brown Christmas, <sighs> and Rudolph. Nice, nice. Not Santa Claus is coming in town. Not that one. But no, Rudolph, no, yeah. No. Yeah, Rudolph always seemed like it was about race, even when I was a kid. Like, that's the black reindeer. <laughs> They're saying red nose, but we all know that's the black reindeer. <laughs> we all know. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> Santa, why you got to hate on Rudolph? What the fuck? Oh, now, yeah, now you also, need Rudolph. And of course, he can be on the sleigh. You hate me because I'm gift. You hate my gift. And I end up leading, which means I'm carrying most of the weight. Yeah. Uh, but I'm in front. Yeah, I, exactly. Now, the racial, like Planet of the Apes, yeah. Rudolph is the great racial metaphor. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. I think my favorite at the time, though, was probably Charlie Brown because of the music. I just love that music. Well, that's the best Christmas music, period. I agree. And maybe it's Charlie because Brown, that's our era. But I mean, there's. No, it's also just, it's genuinely greatness. It's great. Uh, and you know that sad ass tree. There's nothing <laughs> that sad ass tree. When that tree droops, man, oh, I know. that joke never gets old. Uh, and the dance number, right? Just think it like again, social media. All the great songs they put against that, and that kid who does oh, that yeah. thing with his. Bam, 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 yeah, yeah. Oh my yeah. god! It's just it's the best. Okay, there was a third one you said for movie. special. Now, oh, you said you well said all the specials. I, okay, Christmas movie, movies. It's a Wonderful Life. Mm-hmm. It's just the pinnacle, yep. right? Um, Elf is, I mean, in terms, if you're going to go fantastical, yeah. Elf is. I still, you know, I still haven't seen Elf, you know, believe uh, that. Elf is, Elf is time well spent. Yeah. And there's a movie I've never seen because as a kid, the commercial terrified me, which is Santa Claus versus the Martians. Oh, yeah. Right, right, right. I remember that. And man, they ran that thing. Every commercial break uh, during cartoon yeah. time, right? Like after school. And I was like, what the hell is this? I mean, it was <laughs> so cheap, but just, it was intense. It was like, like, it was like Night of the Living Dead for children. I mean, yeah. it was like, what the hell? Yeah. So, so your favorite of those was? Uh, uh, it's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. Okay. I, I go with The Bishop's Wife. Um, it's one I watch every year. There was something about the character that Cary Grant played that just really, I don't know, it stuck with me. And the fact that he kind of did magic, you know, and I love magic and that type of thing. And uh, Loretta Young, I mean, how could you not fall in love with her in that movie? Oh, Loretta Young is it was just yeah. crazy. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, again, it's 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 a it's a target rich environment when you start getting <laughs> yes, Christmas stuff. It's target rich. It's all really good. Um, Candy Cane Lane, you guys, Amazon Prime, guaranteed a good time for the whole family. By the way. Family entertainment, once again, is valuable these days. Something you could sit with the whole family and watch. I love that part of it. And it's just a great cast. The great Reggie Hudlin. Thanks, Reggie, for joining me, man. It's so great to see you. Thank you. Always great to see you. Talk to you soon, Larry. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with 
was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like Ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.